you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, welcome in. It's a great day in Tennessee. Hope it is where you are. You know, we're heading into... I think we really are into summer at this point almost here in Tennessee. We've been having an inordinate amount of rain, flooding everywhere, a lot of people struggling with that, but it sure makes everything green and lush when it's growing. So hope you are ready to head into summer, whatever you have planned. You know, we're heading into that time of year. We're almost half finished, and that means we ought to be half finished with our goals. Hope you're on track for that. Yeah, I'm pretty well on track with where I expected to be at this point. Waiting on the response from a couple of publishers at this point who have expressed interest, but I don't have any firm word from yet, but ready to land my next book somewhere. Got a couple of people that said, yeah, we want to do it. So just uh, trying to get some final answers from a couple other potential players, and then I'll be on track with that. But I never let that st- stop what I'm doing. You know, even as an author, I don't sit around twiddling my thumbs waiting on publishers to make decisions. I continue to crank out content. Uh, The world of publishing has changed so much that I don't have any, my hands are not tied by any means, no matter what the publishers decide to do. We just keep creating content. And again, having created an audience, which is what I always encourage people to do, if you've created a platform for your message, no matter what kind of business you're in, then you really aren't controlled by any one entity. That's the big change in between working for a company where you, in essence, have one customer as compared to doing something for yourself, even if that's just being a freelancer or independent contractor or contingency worker, one of those work models. All of a sudden, you increase your security because you have multiple customers. Well, those of us who choose chose to do that uh, many years ago now have a whole lot of customers out there. So we have a lot of insulation from the ups and downs that happen in the economy and don't have the same kind of maladies that a lot of people who are screaming and crying because we're in a recession or whatever you happen to term it at the particular time. Well, this is a place where we want to encourage you to live fully, to laugh readily, and work with joy. Yes, work with joy. If you're not yet working with joy, stay tuned. We're going to talk about how you can make the subtle realignments that you may need so that is true in your own life this is a time where each week we take 48 minutes and just scan through the questions that have been submitted by you the listeners and readers of 48 days during the course of the week and then i select a few that we can discuss on here have a lot of fun with and hopefully all grow and become a little more knowledgeable in these areas together So thanks for your contributions. Again, you can always submit a question by just going to the podcast link at 48days.com. You can do that or you can shoot an email to askdan at 48days.com or you can, um, there's a phone number there. You can leave a voice message as well if you want. Here's some things we're going to be covering today. Dan, have you ever heard of Michelle Matthews and her home cash flow solutions? Is this for real? One of those things that keeps coming up a lot out there. Yeah, I've heard a lot about it. We'll talk about that. Dan, my dream is to start my own IT consulting business, but I find myself being paralyzed with fear over leaving my somewhat secure, though unfulfilling job. How can I overcome this fear? 
Another one. How is it possible to earn money by hosting a podcast show that anybody can download for free? Well, you want me to give away some of my business secrets there, don't you? And I'm happy to do so. Sure, I'll tell you exactly how that works for me and lots of others. Dan, the offshoring of American jobs to other countries solely for the purpose of increasing profits is evil. There should be some social responsibility within corporations. All right. Should companies compromise profitability to accomplish other goals? And then somebody says, what if your passion doesn't pay? You know, that comes up a lot. And I, and I love that question because, of course, I'm, you know, you, you hear me always say, and I think you can make your passion pay. I don't care if it's growing dandelions or, you know, chasing cats. If you're creative enough, you ought to be able to figure out how can you develop an economic model to make that work. So we'll look at that. What if your passion doesn't pay in its normal, typical, usual application? Because that's always what's happening when somebody says, my passion doesn't pay. You know I can't make a mu- any money in music. You know I can't make money drawing or doing art. Well, I don't know that. I've seen too many exceptions to that. And if you want to do what everybody else has done, yeah, it won't pay. But if you can be a little creative, yeah, chances are anything you can dream up, we can come up with a plan for how it can pay. Well, we've got lots of events coming up here at the Sanctuary, as you know. Um, a lot of those are pretty well booked for the rest of the year, but we have events for coaches and writers, other kind of things. I speak in a lot of different places. I, I don't promote that a lot. And then people always after the fact say, well, why didn't you let us know you were going to be so-and-so? I don't know. Maybe I should do more of that. But um, I, I even even my daughter, Ashley, you know, asked me about that a lot. Dad, let us know so we can promote that. But uh, I, I don't look for places to be gone a lot. So I don't do a lot of speaking on the other side of the country because of the time involved. But I do a lot of events here in the Nashville area or even, you know, Georgia, Florida, Ohio, places like that. So if you're interested in having me come to speak to your organization, just uh, shoot us a note. I'd be glad to talk to you about the details on that. Well, this one comes from Mia. This was actually just a personal email from a lady who I've worked with as an Eagles Club client, but she keeps running ideas by me. And this is one, and I thought it was worth sharing here. Dan, I've started a homeschooling website because it's something I do daily with my own three kids. I guess since I do this daily, it kind of makes me an expert. But boy, it seems like a saturated market. Do you have an opinion on that? Is there room for me? Well, Here's my response. Now, this applies to a whole lot of different industries, ideas out there, because everybody's looking for something that has never been done before. But frankly, if something has never been done before, you really have your work cut out for you. There's probably reason it's not been done before. And even if it's a great idea that needs to be done, you're going to spend a whole lot of time educating people to the need before you get to the part of just creating a solution. Here, here's an example. If you, 20 years ago, had just come back from a trip to Italy and you said, oh my gosh, they had this stuff over there. They roll dough out and then they throw things on there like tomatoes and peppers and mushrooms. They throw it in the oven for a little while and it comes out and they eat it like pie and they call it pizza. And you come back here to the United States and say, I'm going to open up a pizza place. People are going to love this. No, people are going to say, what the heck is that? 
I mean, you know, I understand apple pie, peach pie, plum pie, rhubarb pie, but I don't want that little flat thing that's dried out with a few vegetables thrown on top. No. So you have to educate people if something has never been done before. But now, if you want to open up a pizza place, hey, rock and roll. Yes, we already have Pizza Hut, Little Caesars, Papa John's, CC's, and the list goes on and on and on. That's okay. What that tells you is that a whole lot of people want pizza. They understand it. All you have to do is figure out how to do it 10% better or provide added value to a very common popular idea. Those are the things that make people millionaires. So don't worry about having to be the first into the game. Just see what's already being done and figure out how a way how to do it 10% better. So my response to the homeschooling mom, she wants to do something in homeschooling arena online because she homeschools, thinks she knows something about it. Here's my response. Yes, homeschooling is indeed a very, very big market. A quick Google search for homeschooling yields over 11 million sites. Now, here's where it gets interesting because now I'm going to just really do a broad stroke generalization here. I mean, we homeschool our kids, so I'm in this category. But for the most part, the sites that are out there are mediocre, low-tech, unprofessional, home-done content. Now, homeschoolers tend to be kind of simple, granola, hippy-dippy, yuppie kind of people. I mean, again, I'm generalizing, I really. But if that is the reflection of the websites out there, then what do you have to do? It's not real complicated. The quantity of websites lets us know it really is a big market. The quality of those websites lets us know it's not too difficult to stand out. So it's clear the demand is there. All you have to do is be that 10% better in some way and you can knock it out of the park. So make it great. And yes, you can be very successful. So have another competition. You never need to worry about that. I mean, when I wrote 48 Days to the Work You Love, Was that because nobody had ever written a book before about turning your passion into your work or about how to find work when other people say nobody's hiring, how to be creative in a job search, you know, how to negotiate creatively to increase your income another twenty, thirty thousand dollars? Is that why I wrote a book? Well, heavens no. When you walk in a bookstore in two thousand and five when I published forty eight days for the first time And you're going to find 75 books on that very topic. But see, I never even worried about being in bookstores or in libraries. I had already sold a couple million dollars worth of 48 days at that point without ever having a publishing deal or ever being in a bookstore. Zero, not one, because we just did it a little different way. We made the information available got educated a little bit about how to do things online at that point where things were still pretty fresh and new and had a lot of fun with that and pretty well knocked it out of the park. So you can take a very common idea where there's already a lot of players, just do it better. Find the niche. My daughter says in the homeschooling arena that that you can't go to one place and know what the specific state requirements are. Each state has different requirements and you have to go to all the different states to try to figure out what is unique in your state. So she's saying, you know, somebody ought to do that. All right, let's go on. Shannon 
says, with explosive growth of small business, I want to start a small business concierge service. With one call, I would connect clients with pre-screened preferred service providers. So at one place, somebody could get, you know, bookkeepers, marketing, salespeople, website design, HR professionals, and so on. With a human resource background, my 10% difference would be educating small business owners on becoming more strategic by using my service, freeing time for them to concentrate on their core business. I value your opinion on my idea. Well, Shannon, I think that's great. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I know as a small business owner, I have wasted hundreds of hours over the years trying to figure out, you know, who could I find for this particular service that I need in my business. Putting those people together in a nice, concise format, I think is a wonderful idea. Now, still, people have to be convinced that those individual service providers are the best, that they're cost effective and all those things. But you put that together in that way, sure. I mean, I had a dentist one time that I worked with who knew he hated dentistry. He had left twice before with ill-designed plans and ended up filing bankruptcy and went back, limping back to dentistry because that's the only way he knew to make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. But anyway, we crafted a way for him to get out of that by his forming a buying co-op. He went to the suppliers. I mean, there's there's like, I don't remember what it was. There's like 114,000 or something independent dentists in the United States. He went to the suppliers and said, if I had a group brought you a buying block of those dentists, so they're not out there shopping 20 different places to buy a rotary tool that they need in their practice, but they're going to be coming to you. Would you give us discounts? Well, the suppliers jumped up and down. They said, absolutely. We'll give you major discounts if we can deal with you as a buying block rather than one person at a time. Then he went to the dentist. Now we set this out, but anyway, he went to the dentist. His goal was to get, let me think a minute. His goal was to get a thousand. This is what it was. His goal was to get a thousand dentists out of that great big group, a thousand dentists in 90 days, who would be willing to pay $22 a month to be part of this buying co-op? Now, $22 a month, not a big deal, but you get a thousand dentists to do that. That's $22,000 a month in income. And you have no, you know, tangible product. You have no cost of goods. It's simply a service. And I I was able to help this dentist move into that coming out of bankruptcy where he would have had a really difficult time starting a business of some kind that required capital. And it was also an example of validating his background where we didn't just throw that, you know, flush that down a toilet. You don't want to be a dentist. Well, you know, let's go drive a truck. No, we validated his background because he knew what the need was having been a dentist all those years. So he was a great fit to talk to both the dentist and the suppliers, but put together a business where he would never again have to have his hands in somebody's slimy mouth. I mean, that's, that's the way that we transition out of even a profession like that. But it also is an example of how you bring together a, a group of suppliers or vendors and then take them to professionals who need that. Yes, it's a very good business model. I like it a lot. Becky from Minneapolis says, have you ever heard of Michelle Matthews and her home cash flow solutions regarding opportunity to make money by posting links using your home computer? You have to become certified search engine agent through a three-step process that you can learn by getting their at-home kit. Hmm. 
that Becky says, is this for real? My friend sent me a link. Now, here's the deal. And this is just a blatant online scam. This home cash flow solutions. It's one of these. And when you get it, and I've gotten it hundreds of times, but I'm I'm kind of a easy target. But when you get it, it comes. It looks like a newscast. It looks like it's from. It always at the top. It's like CNBC seven. So it looks like it's, you know, some major news service, and it's put together like that. Like this is a legitimate interview. It's not. They they will plug in your hometown. I live in Franklin, Tennessee, so it will say, you know, Becky from Franklin, Tennessee, you know, last month made $20,000 by only doing this. They present it as a news story. It's not. It's just hype promotional material to get you to read on, to click through to the next thing. See, that's what they do. I mean, this it's really set up well. It, it looks very well done. It looks like you're reading a news article, but obviously when you get to the critical parts to find out how to do this, it clicks through and it takes you right to the promotional material. And it says you can do the same thing. All you have to do now, now here's, here's again, just great technology that they're using because it'll say, you know, we have just a few people that we allow to do this in any given area. We don't know if there's anything available in your area. So you put in your email and your hometown. So you've just given them your information and it says, and then it goes through, you know, this scrolling, scrolling. We're checking for availability to see if anything is available in your area. Oh my gosh, there are two spots available in Franklin, Tennessee, two spots available. But you know, uh, uh, now wait a minute. Uh, Okay, now there's one left. If you do this right now, all you have to do is click here, give us $97. We'll teach you how to be the person that's going to be like Becky, who's making $30,000 a month. That's all it is. It's a scam. And and here's the other thing. The the fact that you said your friend sent this to you, I would bet $100 cash that that is not true. If you know the person it came from, you contact them and see if they actually sent it to you. Chances are 99.99% that that they had nothing to do with it. It's just a sophisticated phishing method that these people use to steal email addresses from somebody so it looks like it came from a friend, which again increases the, the implied credibility. I mean, it's very sophisticated, but... Uh, what what it comes through, you know, and you get up on your screen in great big red letters in the next 60 seconds, gain access to a work at home job paying as much as $87 an hour. Well, who wouldn't want that? It's very well done at walking you right through. And again, this is Michelle Matthews, Home Cash Flow Solutions. Nothing but a scam. I've never met a person in my life who ever made a penny with this. $97. It's you know, it's a low enough amount that people just chalk it up to bad experience or as, you know, Dave Ramsey would say, it's a stupid tax and th- they don't go any farther. You know, you don't go any farther. Well, they gave you what they promised, but there's nothing illegal about it, but it's just an internet scam. No, don't do it. Stay far away. Dan from uh, North Carolina says, I have a corporate career I love, working with very large companies, helping them improve their warehouses and shipping practices. However, small businesses can't afford what I do. But I think there's a market for my knowledge if delivered to them in a practical way through a blog, ebooks, technology, etc. Is this a scalable business model? Uh, 
Well, I'm not sure. When you say to work with small, you work with large companies helping them improve their warehouse and shipping practices. I mean, there has to be a line if you come under a certain company size where that is not going to be a practical model, where the need for that is going to be so small, it's not going to be worth your marketing efforts you know, to try to develop credibility in that arena. So you have to decide who is your target customer. This is just part of doing a business plan. Don't just think if you throw it up there and because there are, you know, millions of small businesses that it's going to work. No, there has to be an identified need and you ought to be real clear on who your target customer is. If you can define that there's a match so that you know that companies between 50 and 400 employees are not being served and that 63% of those companies really are candidates for what you are offering, then yes, then it is a scalable business model. But there are a lot of things that have been tried to be promote, have tried to promote two small businesses that really there's not enough market there to justify the efforts. I mean, there, every business is like this. I mean, sometimes you may have a machine that you can sell and you're going to make $10,000 every time one is sold. But only one can potentially be sold to a city of 50,000, let's say. I'm just making something up here, but let's just say that there's something like that. There's only one prospective buyer in a city of 50,000. Well, it may sound like it makes sense because you're making a big chunk, chunk of money, but the marketing efforts to find those individual prospects may be too time and labor intensive to make the business model hold up. I mean, a lot of times a business is like that. I had a young couple come to me one time and they had just gotten exclusive distribution rights for what in essence was a whole house surge suppressor. I mean, we have these little things we plug into the wall and then you plug your computer and your printer into it. It it takes care of spikes and peaks and all that that we get in electrical current anywhere. It was essentially that for a whole house. However... Here was where this fell apart. This sold for about $350. But see, this was not something that would be on a shelf at Lowe's or Home Depot. So you're walking through and you say, ah, yeah, I'll take one of those. It's too expensive. It required a personal demonstration. Now, they did the personal demonstration for me, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it would show immediately how it was going to save you 15 to 18% on your electrical usage. The bill would come down. But... If it required a personal demonstration, then you have to have a sales team. Then you have to set up individual appointments. And all of a sudden, that $350, where you may have a 20% profit margin, it goes away in having to have a sales team to show those individually. And I said, you know what? This is one of those times when it looks good on paper, but you can't create a business model out of it. It just doesn't work. So just back into your idea when you think it's a good idea. Can you create a business model that really does make sense? Chris from Denver says, I want to use more of the skills in my skill set than what I can use in my current corporate job. That Boy, that's a reasonable setup. You know, if you feel like you're running at 20%, you got 100% to give and only 20% is being used. And that's real common when somebody is 
in IT or if they're in graphic design or they're doing computer programming or they're in human resources, chances are you don't use your strongest skill set 100% of the time. Chances are you're going to use it 15 or 20% of the time and the company is creating other busy work to justify having you on their payroll. That's why it's so easy to move into the consulting role where you really bring your highest level of skill to a company and they may only need you two hours a week or one day a month. Now, that's what Chris is kind of laying out. I want to use more of the skills in my skill set than what I can use in my current corporate job. My dream is to start my own IT consulting business, but I find myself being paralyzed with fear over leaving my somewhat secure, though unfulfilling job. How can I overcome this fear? Well, W. Clement Stone, just a delightful old guy, mustached guy who started combined insurance and made millionaires out of a whole lot of young guys across the country. Just He was the original editor of and publisher of Success Magazine. Anyway, he used to have a saying, do what you fear and fear disappears. Well, I like that. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, if it's bungee jumping, you know, nobody just says, gee, I just want to jump off a bridge. There's going to be some fear there. But after you've done it five times, not, not that I'm speaking from the experience, trust me, but if you've done it a few times, then the fear kind of goes away. You know the thrill, the exhilaration that's going to come, and that has more of a draw than the fear that is holding you back. Same thing is true here. What you need to do is to get some consulting clients on board, and you can do that before you ever leave your current job. I mean, you don't have to just cut the, burn the bridge here and be standing you know, naked in the middle of the street. No, put together a little marketing piece. Describe what it is you do. Describe what your strongest area of competence is and how that's going to bring value to a company. Get out here and promote that so you've got five clients already lined up. Then that fear of leaving your job is going to dissipate when you realize, geez, the five clients you already have are going to provide more income than your real somewhat secure job is doing. And it's no big deal to just cut it at that point. See, that's a cool thing about moving into this kind of job. It's not like you're signing up for another job that's going to require 40 hours a week and you have to be there at eight o'clock and be there till five, five days a week. Now you can make this work by starting at grassroots, build it up. And when you have enough income already in the pipeline to see that you're going to bypass your current job, then you make the transition. Renee from St. Clair Shores, Michigan says, I've scanned my high school yearbooks and copied them to CD, which I'm selling for $25. Unfortunately, my customers are limited to classmates on Facebook or Craigslist. What other scanning services could I offer and how could I best market this idea? I'm a retired graphic designer and enjoy using my design experience in a unique way. Your, your best bet for scanning and creating a product is going to be to work with some company or organization that wants to have this process completed. Now, let me add as well, for you to just take something that is out there that is a product that is already being sold. Now, high school yearbook, eh, it's kind of in a gray area. If it's been around a long time, you know, it's it's kind of different. But if, if you take a current book as an example, you scan it and you put it on CD, you know, or DVD, whatever, and you're going to sell that. No, you can't do that. We got copyright issues all over that. And there are some things you could 
getting hot water real quick by just scanning and creating a new product of a product that already has a copyright issue protecting it. I would encourage you to work with a company or organization that already has some kind of products, some kind of materials that they would love to get digitized, as you're talking about. I just bought a package of DVDs that has the entire National Geographic magazine on them since its inception. It has 122 years of the magazine all in one concise set. Now, something like that would be the most logical application for what you're talking about. A magazine that contracted with you to take their physical archives and scan them. So if you went to Success Magazine and said, wow, I'll go back and get everything that you've got and we'll create a product, a new product, and you have some kind of revenue sharing with them. I mean, yeah, there's, there are a lot of applications for what you're talking about. Just contact, make, make a list. This is much like finding a job where I say find 30 to 40 target customers where it would be a potential match for your services. And then you start the process of contacting them. This is exactly the same. Identify 30 to 40 organizations where you can see that it would have value for them to have their materials scanned and digitized and then create a new product with them. Offer to do that. Don't offer to be paid by the hour for doing that. Offer to do that where you share in the revenue generated, where then you can help them promote it. They promote it and you share in the revenue and have no ceiling on what you're likely to generate from that. All right, moving on here. Incidentally, if you're listening for the first time, welcome in. My goodness, each each week I hear from lots of people who have, have uh, for the first time, logged on and gotten the 48 Days podcast, and I enjoy hearing from people in new parts of the world. Um, one of these days I'll have to have our tech people see if they can figure out. I think we can do that. I think we actually can figure out countries that are represented but it'd be interesting to get an update on that but anyway welcome in no matter where you are from we um, enjoy having you as part of the community here that we're creating where we share ideas and learn how to go to higher levels of success together and obviously if you do have a question i welcome that as well just go to the podcast link it's 48days.com slash listen but you can go there and put in a question i'll be glad to entertain that in an upcoming podcast or you can shoot an email just to ask dan at 48days.com incidentally a lot of the people that are asking questions and developing business ideas like we're talking about here are already involved heavily at 48days.net. It's exciting to see what's happening there. There's no cost to be a member there, but people jump on there, throw out an idea, get instant feedback from the growing brain trust we have there and can shape an idea, put legs on it. And I've seen people doing that, I mean, in two or three days and they're ready to go and get it up and running. Renee from St. Clair Shore says, my, Hi, Dan, my hub's, husband is 56 years old, works in a factory. He'd love to fulfill his passion, auto restoration. He's working on a 1981 Camaro now. His target market would be men that have cars, but not the time to restore them and or look for parts. How can he best market this passion into a profitable business? You know, the best thing, uh, and I didn't read ahead here, but the best thing that I can tell you for that is to go exactly what I, where I just mentioned, and that's the 48days.net. 48days.net, there's a guy there, his name is Chris Holstrom, H-O-L-S-T-R-O-M. He just did exactly what you're saying your husband wants to do. Chris got involved, 
He wanted to restore old cars. He wanted to work on old Camaros. He wants to bring them up to speed so they have all new technology and mechanics so it drives like a, like a brand new you know, 2012 Lexus. That's what he does, and he just transitioned into full time. But it's chrisholstromconcepts.com. Uh, Chris with, with the C-C-H-R-I-S, Holstrom, H-O-L-S-T-R-O-M, concepts.com. Go there. Look what he's doing. It's exactly what you're describing. Your husband wants to do it. And you can read Chris's information through his profile on 48days.net, and he describes that transition. I think he became a member uh, maybe eight, 10 months ago, but he identified what he wanted to do. Boom, he just went out there and did it and he transitioned into full-time just a couple weeks ago. I just profiled him as our featured member of the week because of that a couple weeks ago. Another guy on there, Robert Kibbe, K-I-B-B-E, has a, it's like old car passion or hot rod passion or something, but you can find his group on 48days.net. He's done the same thing. Now, he's not doing full-time restoration. He's doing other things. He's writing and speaking He's doing a bunch of things. He's created a true multiple streams of income around his passion for old cars. He has a 66 Chevelle that he drives. Now, I'm pretty familiar with these guys because I love old cars, and I love to see these guys take their idea and actually turn it into a real business. The cool thing about what your husband wants to do is that you don't need, you know, 3,000 customers. You may only, you know, do five or six projects a year and still do really well. So it's not that difficult to spread the word, to market what you want to do, to get online, to share the word, identify where you are geographically, and to fill your funnel for the next year in a very short period of time. Here's a question from Isa in Lakeland, Florida. My question to you is basically to satisfy my curiosity as to how is it possible to earn money by hosting a podcast show that anybody can download for free? I understand that a lot of people are getting into the podcast world, business, yourself included, but I don't see what the monetizing options are from this. Thanks for your answer. Great question. And I I love to share anything I can about how this works. I mean, I'm very transparent. There's no secrets about this at all. You, like a lot of other people, if you're listening to this podcast or listening to it absolutely free, I'm not sneaking into your bank account on the backside and charging you 20 bucks to listen to this. It's free. I'm delighted to have you listen to it. You and along with the approximately 80,000 other people that listen to this at this point. But now this podcast cannot be the only thing you're doing in your business. If that's all you're doing, yeah, I, I don't know how to tell you to monetize that. There are people trying to do it. And what they're doing is trying to turn a podcast into you know, commercial radio. Well, the reason people like podcasts rather than commercial radio is you don't have to put up with the 12 minutes of commercials that are jammed into your ears as you go through one hour of commercial radio podcast. You don't have that. I'm not about to turn this podcast into the same thing. Say, hey, here's, you know, one minute brought to you by Buick and here's a minute brought to you by Doritos. No, not going to do that here. I don't think that model is going to work very well here because that's the appeal of podcasting as opposed to traditional radio. But podcasting needs to be part of your business. Now, in what I do, I do the podcast. I do a daily blog. Again, there's no 
no cost, and you don't see any kind of ads or anything on there. It's just a blog. I do a weekly newsletter. I speak at lots of events. All of those things support the sales that we do have that are possible on 48days.com.net. And it's no secret about those. I mean, we sell thousands of the electronic personality profiles. I mean, all of the products. I mean, I, I add at least one new product a month to our product mix. So it may be an audio product. It may be an instructional manual. It may be an 80-page manifesto. But I constantly put products out there because if we have 80,000 people listening to the podcast, about 90,000 people who get my newsletter every week and the blog uh well, I don't know how many people are on that. I need to check that, but I really don't know. But again, a whole lot of people who read my blog, that means we've got a whole lot of people who are willing listeners. We have created, in essence, permission marketing. They're saying, I want to listen to your content. It's helping me move in the direction I want to go. That gives me the right then at some point to say, oh, incidentally, we have a book that addresses that. We have a workshop. We have a live event coming up. This may help you to get the get the profile. So we've got products, profiles, both the electronic and physical. We have live events that are sold out pretty much every single thing that we do here at the sanctuary. Coaching clients, I get between 150 and 200 requests for my coaching every month. We refer those out to competent coaches and share the revenue generated. We have participants on our cruises that we promote click-throughs to all of our affiliate links. I mean, there are, we have hundreds of things on our website where it just says, if this is what you're interested in, go to this resource to see if that helps you. People click through, they purchase things there, and I share in the revenue generated there. So we have we have a whole lot of ways that generate revenue, but podcasting, blogging, and the newsletters are not generating revenue directly. It's indirectly, but you've got to take a long view in any business and realize that you build confidence first. You don't sell to anybody if they don't trust you. So that first you have to gain their confidence. And these are ways, a podcast is a way that you build trust and rapport with people. That's the first part of any selling process. You cannot sell until that happens. So these are ways to do it and and they work extremely well. Ty says, Dan, I've heard you say that there are certain programs you would not support or endorse because you didn't feel it was enough return or people burn out after 90 days and so on. Could you name a few of those opportunities to stay away from? Well, this has more to do with the individual than it does a particular program. Now, you've already heard me talk about you know, some of the cash flow from home programs and things like that that you ought to be able to do enough research on and find out real quickly it's just a scam. Obviously, stay away from those. But I usually don't get real excited about things that just produce linear income. I get excited about, well, and here's the difference, you know, linear income, you do something once and you get paid once, end of story. Residual is where you do something once and get paid 10,000 times. Here's why I get excited about linear, I mean, residual as compared to linear income. If I have a thousand people that knock on my door this afternoon and say they want my coaching. They want me to work with them as a coach. Well, I'm going to work my way down the line. I'm going to tell the last person, let's see, you're scheduled for uh, February 3rd in the year 2021. I mean, how exciting is that? What kind of a business model is that where I'm limited immediately 
to maybe, you know, four or five people that I can work with in a month. And so if I have a lot of demand, I'm stuck. But if I write a book and I have a thousand people knocking my door this afternoon, thank you very much. Thank you very much. That'll go out this afternoon. You'll have it in the mail tomorrow. I mean, how cool is that? I mean, that's just an easy example based on what I do, but you have to look at any business like that. So it's hard for me to get real excited about washing windows or detailing cars or mowing yards, even though those are all great businesses. They just don't appeal to me because they're linear income, not residual. And again, I'm not, I'm not real sure what you're referring to, what you remember. I mean, obviously there, I talk about people getting like network marketing and 90 days later they burn out. Talk to some people on Sunday. I spoke at Christ church in Nashville on Sunday and spoke to a delightful couple afterward who make millions and millions and millions of dollars in the network marketing company they've been a part of for many, many years. But we also talked about the fact that, yeah, a whole lot of people get in and three weeks later say, well, this doesn't work. That's a very short-sighted view. There are a couple issues involved there, and I talked very frankly with them about it, and they're very, very knowledgeable about these issues. But a lot of those people should have never chosen their business to start with. And that's been the negative about network marketing companies is they tend to recruit anybody who breathes and say, well, you can do this. Well, that's not true. People need to be selected very carefully, just as you were, if you were hiring a person for a position, there ought to be that much care put into who you select to work with you in a network marketing company. So they really do have a chance to succeed. But certainly there are a lot of people who just, who, who hear the big stories, gee, I'm going to be making $50,000 a month, you know, next month. And I'll not only pay my mortgage, but I'm going to buy that new boat I've been looking at longingly. Well, that's ridiculous. It doesn't happen that fast. You need to be prepared to be in it for a year without looking back, doing the groundwork to hope to get a little momentum to get you over the tipping point. Dan, I see your point. I This is referencing a blog post that I did some time ago, Don't Chase the Snake, where I talked about how Hmm, how it does nothing but use negative emotions to if a company fires you, you know, for you to file a discrimination suit and to do all the other things that employees often do is just wasted negative emotion. You're better off spending that same energy and planning something to move forward to rather than chasing the snake. The example I gave was as a childhood friend of mine, we were out one afternoon and he did get bit by a snake. My tendency was to run after that daggone snake. We're going to chase him down till we find him. No, he sat down, pulled out his knife, sliced where the snake had bit him and sucked the poison out. And it's a great metaphor for what you are better off doing. And that's my advice when people have been wrongly let go or whatever there's just too many variables out there that we can't control and your energy is better spent deciding where you want to be a year from now and how you're going to get there than looking at what happened the last year and trying to go back to unwind unfair things now obviously that's a broad stripe stroke and a generalization but uh, so be it well rob is saying i see your point and don't chase a snake. But I think sometimes that snake needs to be responsible for its actions. It should have to explain itself. I'm referring to the offshoring of American jobs to other countries solely for the purpose of increasing profits, nothing more. If we see something wrong, there is nothing wrong with speaking up. Becoming an activist to fight injustice isn't snake chasing. In this case, the sole problem with this act is greed. To drive for profits above anything else is evil. 
There should be some social responsibility within corporations. I think these corporations should be exposed and ask these tough questions. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Well, this opens up a whole lot of issues, Rob. Uh, If, I mean, as a business owner, I look at a whole lot of options as an example for printing. Let's just take printing as an example. We, We do a lot of printing and I do a lot of printing for other people, getting them started with books and so on. A lot of those things are done in China. Now, I have some great friends in the printing industry right here in Nashville, Tennessee. But let's just say, and these are pretty real figures, let's just say that I can get a book printed right here in Nashville, Tennessee, and it costs me $4.50. Or I can get it printed in China, and it costs me $1.80 plus $0.10 per to have it delivered here. So I'm in at a dollar ninety cents as a pair compared to four fifty. I can sell that for five dollars and double my money, make a reasonable profit on it. Whereas if I sold it for five dollars and paid four fifty, it would be a poor economic model in making fifty cents a piece and ultimately my business would close its doors. Is it just greedy for me? to get that printed in a place where I can get it done for less than half the cost? Is that the only thing driving me? It's just greed and I ought to be socially responsible and have the people here locally do it because they're in that business and they're my friends. See, I don't think so. I mean, the point of having a business is to make money. I mean, if you're not in a business to make money, then it may be something else. It may be a hobby or a nonprofit, but it's probably not a legitimate business. Now there are a lot of gray areas here and We don't have time to unpack all of those, but I do tend to disagree with you. You know, it's not just always pure, unadulterated, raw greed that causes somebody to use offshore labor or services. It makes more sense business-wise. It makes a more profitable business so people can stay employed. People can have jobs here because the business will continue to be profitable. It's not that easy just to say, no, anytime somebody gets something done outside the United States, the United States is not cost effective if something is just requiring labor. You can get it done a whole lot cheaper somewhere else. I mean, we're we're making a lot of money in things that have to do with information and knowledge and expertise. And there's a lot of opportunities for companies here to do that. But for a company to dig its heels in and think that a, another company owes it to them to do business because they are in the continental United States when they aren't competitive in a global market. Nah, not going to go there. I, I, we have to be competitive globally with what we're doing. We can't just close our borders and say, well, we owe it to each other, scratch each other's back, so everybody will be happy and contented here. just doesn't make sense. Well, one more here, and we'll do this one quicker quicker than I'd want to, and I'm going to just gloss over the question. It comes from Megan, who says, what if your passion doesn't pay? Now, she says she's been listening to 48 Days Podcast. Uh, She's reading some of the books, plans to read more. She's an artist. Now, she... Always has had a passion for art, but she quit going to art school because she knew she couldn't make any money there. Uh, she got a degree in communications, but she says now 10 years later, I found, I've never found a job using my degree. I hate my job. I get 50 cent raises each year. I feel I work just to pay for my art interest. I've thought of many ways to make art my career, but just not that many people are buying art on a regular basis. And she goes through, I'd like to go back to school. 
but uh, to get a degree so I have credentials in art. Well, anyway, there, there's a whole lot of holes here, Megan, in, in what you're thinking. And all it requires is just that you kind of tweak your thinking a little bit. When you say that people aren't buying art on a regular basis, that's an untrue generality. There are people who are knocking it out of the park right now selling art. There are a whole lot of people out there with discretionary income who are buying art. And when you say that you can't be successful because you don't have the right degree, I mean, look, go to sites like Ronald Baldwin. RonaldBaldwin.com, the client and friend of mine over the years, he does nothing but art that deals with music themes. So all of his art has music theme, but you look at the pieces on there. I mean, I have a piece here in my office, it's a $10,000 piece. You look at things on his site, they're going to be five, $6,000, even the smaller pieces. I mean, he is doing, yes, 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 very, very, very well. People like Abby Ryan, Abby Ryan, now check out her work, A-B-B-E-Y-R-Y-A-N. Abby Ryan made a name for herself because for about a year, she did a painting a day and put it on eBay, a painting a day. That was her unique niche. Now she put them out there. Well, that has turned into be something very successful. She no longer puts them out on eBay. She has, she's part of a daily paintworks site, but her paintings that she does every day, you still have to bid on them, but typically they're somewhere between three and $900. Could you do a little painting a day if you were getting three to $900? Well, I like that, but see here again, we're talking about, there's a whole lot of artists out there and yes, we know artists are starving, no question about it. But what we also know is it doesn't take much to stand out. Ron Baldwin doesn't do just landscapes or your barn or a portrait of your family or your pet or whatever. No, he does music themes. He's known as the guy, the go-to guy for music theme, these real bold abstract pieces of art. He never went to art school. I mean, the guy came, he used to be a pastor. He never went to art school. He just started doing something that he felt passionate about and people responded and customers don't ask, gee, where'd you get your degree? No, they like your work. Success speaks for itself and compounds itself. Well, hey, oh me, we're out of time. I've got other things here I'd love to cover. But, that you know, that's a pretty good run today. We covered some pretty broad issues here that have application. And what I try to do is pick these issues that have application no matter what kind of business it is you're doing. Hey, I know that you're loving life, that you're developing If you aren't finding, you're creating work that is meaningful, fulfilling, profitable, purposeful, all those wonderful things. Believe that it's possible for you. Don't be deterred by the fact that we're in a recession. Anything, what happens in your house is what's important. Have a great week.